Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast, the only show that dares to be both on topic or on premise and on location, on premises, uh, usually, except during a global pandemic. Each episode uh, brings together a group of IT luminaries to discuss a single concept. And in this episode, we're meeting with three of our delegates from our Tech Field Day 24 event. And we're talking about hype. When is hype just hype and when does it become reality? Before we get into that conversation, let's meet who's on the panel today. Hi, I'm Paul Stringflow. You can find me online at TechStringy on Twitter and TechStringy.com is my website. I'm a technical director for a data management consultancy in the UK called Gardner Systems. I'm Robert Novak. You can find me on Twitter at Gallifreyan or on my blogs at Ristus11.com and Ristus11travel.com. I'm an independent consultant and crypto supporter. Hi, I'm Craig Rogers. You can find me at Craig Rogers MS on Twitter or CraigRogers.co.uk for my blog. And I'm a technical sales consultant with Ergo on Ireland. So all of us in enterprise tech are used to dealing with hype. In fact, uh, basically everything we do is like hype all day long. It's, it, you know, uh, whether it's uh, Wi-Fi or fast ethernet or gigabit ethernet or 10 gigabit ethernet or Rocky or InfiniBand or fiber channel over token ring, whatever it is, there's hype. There's tons of hype around us all the time. And frankly, I think a lot of us have been kind of jaded by that. And we've kind of come to the realization that hype is just hype and hyper is going to hype. And we got to cut through that and find the real, real there. But the problem is that sometimes things kind of stay hype. And frankly, some of the topics that we are going to hear from at Tech Field Day 24, well, um, I don't want to throw stones, but some of this stuff has been a little hyped, like IoT and 5G and converged infrastructure, even the cloud. Um, I mean, Robert, oh my God, you said cryptocurrencies? Let's talk about hype. Blockchain? Ah! So how do we deal with this, Robert? I mean, how do we know when something's hype and when something's not? Very good question. I would say that it's when it stops being something worth talking about on its own, really. I remember 12 years ago, uh, several jobs ago, having a vendor come to me every couple of weeks and say, hey, do you want to buy the cloud from us? And at the time, there wasn't a lot of cloud adoption. The AWS wasn't the biggest thing on the entire known universe. And I couldn't get the salespeople to tell me why I needed it or what it would solve for me. And I think that's a big part of what I would, you know, it ties into my idea of the Splash Mountain Syndrome, which I'm going to be blogging about in the very near past. But if it's something that you have to call out and can't tie directly to a use case, it's hype to me. And at some point it goes from being, oh, this is gonna be really cool someday in the future to this is just what we do. Things like you know, fast ethernet, gigabit ethernet, 10 gigabit ethernet, NVMe. I remember trying to sell uh, PMEM from Intel and trying to tell people why they needed to spend 10 times as much as they were on storage. But it was because at the point that I was talking about it, it was hype. But when it started becoming application tied and making an everyday difference, it stopped being hype. I think just to, um, just to add to that, I think Robert makes a really good point in terms of, is it solving something? You know? And I think that's what I find when I talk to, when I talk to IT directors or architects inside of enterprises of all, of all kinds, they're not really bothered about hype, you know, because hype in itself does not solve a problem. You know, a hyped up topic 
is not a problem solver. You know, we can talk about any of the examples Robert gave before. And, and in the end, the, the enterprises that I speak to aren't bothered about the hyped topic in itself. You know, their, their challenge is, as it always is, I've got some business demands. I've got an enterprise IT problem that I'm trying to solve. Give me a solution. Give me, give me something that solves my problem. If the thing that solves that problem happens to be something that's in some kind of hype cycle at the moment, that's great. You know, but but ultimately, you know, just because it's it's being hyped up by a by a vendor or being hyped up by a part of the community, that doesn't necessarily make it a suitable technology. You know, I I I think one of the challenges I often see is that a lot of what we talk about in our industry is driven by you know those silicon valley vendors you know they've they've you know they've got businesses to grow they've got vc money to to bring in you know they've got uh, you know they've got a brand to build and they are trying to educate a market about a technology but that is often very different from many of the enterprises i work in you know, i'm but i'm based in the uk so you know my 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 experience is uk enterprise you know so so that's not west coast us enterprise and i think sometimes there's a there's a real disconnect between the two you know not because we're we're different species or anything like that but but actually the challenges that a number of traditional enterprises may have is not necessarily the thing that's driving the buzz and the excitement and the hype uh, on the, in the west coast of the US, and you know, and the thing that's getting VCs uh, parting with their cash. Uh, I agree. I, I think a lot of the on on the hype curve, some of the initial challenges can be, as you have said, what problem is it fixing? But the, there's also an element of the greater the rate of adoption, the more financially viable that solution can be. And as you've said and alluded to there, Paul, about the, the size of organizations in the East and West Coast in the States versus the size of organizations in the UK, they often don't have the same budget or technical requirements, you know, on the scale of the problems that they have to solve. You know, and that can that can weigh heavily on, on investment decisions in terms of uh, the companies go for in, in their IT. I think we really have to address the elephant in the room, of course, which is the famous Gartner hype cycle. Um, they're the ones who came up with this, this idea that you have the technology trigger, you get the peak of inflated expectations, the trough of disillusionment, which sounds like something from a Dr. Seuss book, um, the slope of enlightenment, and of course, the plateau of productivity, which sounds like something from a really boring book. So um, is the hype cycle real though? Because frankly, hype is hype, is hype. And, and, and whether something is hyped or not is really not related to the thing. It's not related to whether the thing is useful or whether the thing is productive or anything. It's just marketing, right? I mean, is there really any relationship between this famous hype cycle and the reality of uh, technology adoption? Well, I suppose as um, Public Enemy once famously said, uh, "Don't believe it." Um, but I thought you'd like that. Um, but but I, I, I suppose that there's a real question about whether hype is a thing at all. You know, is it because it is hype just around vendors or you know pe people who are developing new technology? You know, hype is just something that a, a label that we apply to something that we don't yet see as being part of the everyday you know we, we, we we're just looking at that and saying well this thing's you know this thing's years away from being interesting and applicable to the, the vast majority of enterprises is that what defines whether it's hype because just I, I was thinking when when Craig was speaking before actually that 
just because something we, we just because we might look at something and think it's hype it doesn't mean it's not it doesn't have value you know it doesn't mean it's not a technology that is useful today and will be useful in the future just because we're calling it hype is you know neither neither here nor there it's just the idea of we're placing a label on it it's a, it's a little bit like the, the, the hype cycle you've just described Stephen in that it was about putting a label on maybe the 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 process of a product or, or a service or a solution coming from kind of inventor's mind through to mass adoption you know and that's that's really what the hype cycle is so you know but, but i just think just because just because something's hype doesn't mean it's not not got value and doesn't mean that it won't be useful i would agree with you and being from the west coast of the united states the example that comes to mind for me is probably unique here because there's 50,000 of them in my city block alone. But Tesla, when they came out with their first car, there was a huge amount of hype. And to be honest, there still is. Uh, and I'm still waiting for the 2022 Roadster, by the way. That's probably going to be my next car if I win the lottery. But when the first Roadster came out, it was something that was sort of a novelty. Nobody really thought we'd be able to do electric cars on that scale anytime soon. And it was noteworthy if you saw one. But today, you know, if I drive a mile to the Target store down the road, I probably pass four Teslas. In fact, there's two in my neighbor's parking or my, my neighbor's uh, driveway because he really likes them and goes through them every year or so. But that doesn't mean that 10 years ago or whenever the first one came out, it wasn't useful to some people. It just was not accessible to everybody. It didn't solve a problem and it added new problems like finding a charging station. Steve Wozniak had that problem when he was trying to go to Las Vegas or trying to go to Denver in his Tesla way, way back, because he would have to stop for an entire day in Vegas to charge up his car to go the next round. And that changes. And as you get, and, and it really ties well to the technology cycle in that you get the infrastructure around something that's hyped. 5G is a great idea, but until you've got the towers, until you've got the coverage, it's pretty much useless out in the middle of uh, Nebraska during pledge month on NPR. It's not going to help you much until you've got the towers, until you've got the support, until you've got the vendors providing the services around it. And that ended up being a much better analogy than I thought it would be at first, not to ring my own bell too much. Uh, maybe, yeah, uh, just, just something to, again, maybe, maybe something made me think about actually, Robert, while you were talking was, was the idea that you know, I th Tesla's a great example of this, actually, I think. And, and while Tesla themselves are increasingly becoming, you know, are, are already a successful company, actually not becoming a successful company. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm here on the West Coast of the UK and, and I see Teslas. They're not a, not a complete surprise to me. Um, but I think what that has also done, and maybe this is where that kind of hype, hype cycle has real value, is that what Tesla have done is reframed a conversation about the way we build cars and infrastructure. You know, and if we flip that back to IT, you know, we look at conversation, we, we look at some of the presenters we've got at Tech Field Day this week. You know, we, we've got conversations around IoT. We've got conversations around composable infrastructure, around Kubernetes. Um, you know, just because we're having those conversations and just because they're not necessarily, I'm not necessarily going to go out and buy a Tesla, but actually the next car I do buy is likely to be at the very least hybrid, more likely to be electric. Now it might not be a Tesla because I'm not a particular fan of Teslas. I, I don't think they're particularly attractive looking vehicles, but that doesn't mean that 
the technology that they have driven, including con you know, including that conversation about infrastructure. Where can I charge these things? You know, that's all been driven because of that Tesla hype. You know, and if we think about, take Kubernetes for example. Now, as an organization, you might not be considering Kubernetes and containers as a as a way of developing things. But what you will be considering is what a container type infrastructure gives you. It gives you flexibility, agility, portability. It gives you all of those things. And then surely that leads to a question that as you're starting to develop new applications to drive your business, to solve those traditional business problems, if you like, while you're trying to do that, the thing that you should have in your head is, could it be Kubernetes or could it be containers? And if it isn't, can I replicate the value that that kind of thing brings in a different way? So I might, I might not buy a Tesla, but I do see the value of an electric vehicle and what that might mean to me in the future. So, you know, I think it's, again, easy to talk about hype as though it's a derogatory term, but actually, it's, these are the kind of things that drive change and drive new conversation and drive new ways of thinking. Absolutely. I have to agree on the, the Tesla side. I'm also looking at one. And one of the advantages from being an early adopter of, of anything early on the hype scale is, is that you get a lot of benefits. You know, Tesla... There's a number of other electric cars, and obviously I'm looking at them all, but Tesla have a key benefit around their supercharger infrastructure that no other vendor has at the moment. So they're behind five years and a significant investment. So even in terms of Kubernetes and 5G, these early adopters, if they pick a winning technology, will have that early adopter advantage you know and we've seen that in you know in consumer grade equipment you know going uh, vhs and betamax you know if, if you put all your product designs in the betamax it, it was a dead duck despite being a better technology um so it's 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 a hard one to weigh up and quantify you know the, there's a risk adopting early on the hype cycle but there's also potential potentially very high gains yeah and I, and I think before we go on to any more questions, I should apologize to anybody who's got a Tesla. Just because I don't like them doesn't mean they're not great vehicles. And I really should have checked who had Teslas on this call before I started. I think I can objectively say that the bulbous look is not very attractive. I'm sorry. Um, that being said, I just ordered one. So uh, kill me. Um, so uh, I did it during this podcast. So that's a really interesting insight that you guys are getting at here. And I think that that's um, maybe uh, a surprise to people. You would expect technologists to be all saying, basically, don't believe the hype, the hype sucks. And, and, even, and even saying, you know what, if something's hyped, I'm going to assume that it's bad, right? I'm just going to assume that hype equals bad. But that's not what I'm hearing from you. And that's not what I hear from people like me who are really keen on technology. In fact, I think what I hear from you is that hype can be good. Like hype and reality are never related. It's not like they're the same thing at all, but hype can be good because it can spur the adoption of new technologies. It can inspire people to create uh, something that maybe lives up to the hype in some point in the future. Um, it can inspire uh, change in the industry and, and technology. And so even though technologies never live up to the hype, we should still embrace hype as a way to help move forward. Is that is that what I'm hearing from you? I would say yes. And something that I thought of as, as the gentlemen were talking about the, the Tesla development, you know, Tesla wasn't the first mass market electric car, but who remembers the EV1 at this point? And yep, 
we're, we're all special on this call, on this session, but you know, if you go back to the 50s or the, the early 60s, Walt Disney had an electric car at Disneyland, but it doesn't mean that anybody really picked up on that anytime soon. But I think if, if you have hype as the frame, as the focus, it's more likely that I'm going to say, yeah, I have no interest in that. Give it a couple of years, give it a decade, whatever. But if it's something that's being hyped and being pushed into the market, pushed into the infrastructure and actually solves a problem uh, sustainably for some value of that term, that's where the hype becomes productive. I don't want to nerd too hard on you, Robert, but I think I should point out that Henry Ford's wife drove a Detroit electric, which was uh, one of the first mass produced electric vehicles. Boom. So, um, so here in the UK, uh, we have a concept of a thing called a milk float. Um, I, I don't think that translates in the US. I, they have been electric powered all of my life. The sound of a milk float at 5am in the morning, everybody in the UK knows what I'm talking about. Um, so, so there. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think the the idea that hype is good, though, you know, does and, and Robert kind of touched on this as, as well. I think in terms of it, kind of depends, doesn't it? You know, if it's hype for hype's sake, um, you know, that that's something that we're maybe more likely to push back on. But I think if we look at um, you know something Robert said early on, and, and I always remember taking this advice from a, a, an IT friend of mine some some years ago, that one of the first things you should be looking at with any kind of technology that's been pushed at you because you know we all work in an industry where vendors are knocking on our door on a regular basis telling us how they've got the next great thing that we're going to want to push into all of our customers but the reality is that the, the question i'm always asking when i look at something like that is what's the problem you're solving you know and the, the subsequent question being is that a problem that i'm seeing anywhere else you know and it and if i'm not seeing it it doesn't mean they're wrong it does it just means it's not a problem that i see so why does that technology hype have any value to me and i think as as long as we've kind of got those those things in line I, and i agree completely with kind of the the premise you were discussing there Stephen, in in terms of you know what you're hearing from from us as a group is that hype is not a bad thing i think hype in you know like everything else used in moderation and used in the right way has value for us you know and, and i think if it's driving a discussion forward if it's making us think about how we solve it problems in in new ways if it's you know it is an ever evolving industry and i think if you are if your immediate reaction to anything that is seen as hyped is i'm just going to turn off from that i think maybe you should be asking yourself whether it is quite the right industry for you because if you're doing that are you evolving? Are you learning yourself? Doesn't mean you should accept all hypers gospel and should be always correct, but you should at least be able to be critical about that and see, is there a possibility there? Can we see where that technology is evolving into? You know, a bit, bit like with the, you know, the examples we've already used, just because it's hype today, it doesn't mean that it's not right. It may not be that solution. It might be an evolution of that solution at some point in the future, but it doesn't mean that they're not thinking along the right way. So hype is good used in the right way, like everything else. In moderation, hype is perfectly fine. I agree. And I think mainstream adoption also arrives, as you said, whenever real solutions come to actual problems that exist that need a fix that need addressed. You know, early internet adop adoption, you know, we had this great technology didn't know what to do with it how to commercialize it how to to do anything meaningful but now try and imagine going about your day without the internet in anything that you do in this day and age yeah 
Yeah, that's a good point. And, um, you know, everything. I mean, I, I, lately people are posting that old AT&T you will add again and, and pointing out, I, I think it was on the John Oliver show even, pointing out that, uh, yeah, we do that all, like, all the time, you know, except for faxing from the beach. That's a little weird. But they just didn't know what they were talking about. Um, and they had to use conventional terms. Uh, but we absolutely do uh, all these things now on a daily basis, and we don't think of it as that. But so let me turn the conversation, if I can, towards some enterprise IT hype. Okay, so can we have a can we have the the, the heightening round here, the hype lightning round? Um, so uh, tell me this, tell me this. In your mind, what is the hype of 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 the things that we got versus the reality? So let's start. You mentioned five G. What is the hype? Who who wants to volunteer to tell me what the the breathless marketing story for five G is? I'll give it a shot. Uh, I think the breathless story is that 5G will replace all wired internet connectivity and most wireless internet connectivity and will connect everything from the sensor in your shoes to your car to uh, the International Space Station. And it will all be free and it will all be available everywhere on the planet immediately. That's sort of the hype that I see. The reality, as I mentioned earlier, uh, and as some of my colleagues have mentioned, is it's not everywhere. And what we haven't mentioned is it's not free. It's not even necessarily cheap. It tends to be a marketing crowbar to get you into a higher level cell plan or to get a new device at home to run your internet connection off of. And it doesn't, it hasn't really caught up to the first or the second loop on the roller coaster. But it is starting to become more mainstream available, just whether people can actually use it and even afford to use it. And if it solves the problems that uh, Joe Q Public on the street has with their cell phone and their home internet connection and their car and their shoes and their space station. So just to, um, I think 5G is a really interesting example, isn't it? And, and I think it's an interesting example because I, I, I think the thing that, you know, maybe this is true of, of things that kind of sit somewhere in the, the world of hype in one way or another, is that the thing with 5G, 5G will probably solve problems that we're not thinking of right now. So 5G will allow us to do things in the future that we don't consider as problems. You know, the, the, the cell, obviously the 5G hype cell is to, because that's where, you know, the, maybe what's maybe the easy money, the early money is to be made in consumer consumer use of 5G. You know, the idea that I can stream a movie to my smartphone and it's, you know, ultra HD and there's no lag and no problem and I can get 5G everywhere. And we've already discussed that, you know, getting 5G everywhere is difficult for because of the technology, because of the cost and, you know, and just because of the commercial considerations. But I think the reality for 5G is going to be that it will solve problems that um, there's no good asking what those problems are, because as I said, these are problems we've not thought of yet, but it'll allow us to, it goes back to that kind of thing about hype being good as part of as part of a conversation, as part of driving change and new ways of thinking. So if we start to see this kind of massive bandwidth available to pretty much any device, any location, what's that allowing us to do? You know, what are the innovators? You know, I was kind of having a go at West Coast innovators early on, but what is it that those smart guys are thinking of today that that people like me aren't even thinking of? That actually, and something Craig touched on before, you know, in five years' time, we'll just be commonplace and we'll think, how on earth did we get, how, how did we get through the day without being able to do this five, 10 years ago? And, and it's only been enabled because 5G or its predecessor, or its, its future incarnations have allowed it to happen. 
Sorry, our lightning round is going too long. So let's let's lightning <laughs> it. Come on, here we go. Here we go. Um, so so give me the hype on IoT. Somebody. Everybody wants things. Everybody's got things everywhere, and we all want data from them. Um, that's that's the hype. Um, not sure it's the reality. They also need secured. They also need secured. It, 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 the more devices we're walking around with with connectivity, you know, the, the bigger, the, the larger the security implications, uh, the more complex the systems need to be to manage those. And so it's, it's almost a self-fueling the, 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 the whole industry. You know, we'll need Kubernetes containers because so many things require microservices. Uh, it, it, it does it self-fulfilling. Well, there you go. That's the next one. Uh, Kubernetes. Kubernetes. What's the hype? Everybody needs it. <laughs> it, 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 it gains so much airtime. It gains so much airtime. Um, I don't think everybody is at the scale whereby they need it right away, but at some point they will. And, and again, it's those early adopters who, who can afford to do it well and secure it well, who will steer the direction for the people that follow to, to do it on a smaller scale. And I think that one of the things that I that we haven't really brought up is what I call the Jurassic factor. And that really ties into uh, Kubernetes and containers and Docker and everything. Just because you can do it doesn't necessarily mean that you should. Nobody's probably going to put, uh, I'm probably going to embarrass myself with this, but nobody's going to put an Oracle database in a Docker container probably, at least not for very long. It might be possible, but is it practical? Does it add value more than it takes away value? Maybe not. And I, that's one of the things I think whenever I hear Kubernetes, whenever I hear Docker, whenever I hear any of the products that, you know, the Scrabble brand products that seem to have their names picked out of nowhere is it's, it's probably great for some cases, but do we know where it fits and where it doesn't? And are people paying attention to that distinction? Probably not. I'm only putting an Oracle instance in a container on my iot device if it's got 5g um so right. they're, they're the things you need to bear in mind well the um, nice thing so, paul if you do that you can use it at the edge uh in, indeed in the in the fog of the edge um so there's a conversation for later in the week but um yeah i i think all i was gonna say with kubernetes is everybody wants to be insert big internet giant uh poster boy name here every enterprise wants to be like that not every enterprise wants to be like uh, insert big internet poster boy company name here, um, just because that's not their reality. So one more before we got to go. Um, disaggregated infrastructure. Um, we're hearing a lot of companies talking about having, you know, a memory module over here and a compute module over there. And, you know, maybe storage is something else entirely. Uh, uh, What's the hype versus the reality of disaggregated infrastructure? I, I, I like it. Um, I, the likes of Vast, I like very much the way they have implemented the whole disaggregation, certainly within storage. Uh, I, I think it, if it's solving a problem, it, it's a good use case. And it, it, it does in certain systems, but that won't always be the case. I think the, um, I, I think the idea of disaggregation is 
you know, is is kind of a, a, a typical of this kind of space, you know, and this is in no way a criticism of anybody who's kind of, of, of sharing that kind of story. And that's how they build their technology, because I think, like Craig says, lots of value in that kind of approach of, of that disaggregation approach. Um, but I think where there's a challenge is if I go to an enterprise and say disaggregation's cool, because that's what everybody's talking about, they're going to say, um, I'm going to pitch Robert's phrase of Jurassic Factor earlier on. They're going to say, hey, look at this infrastructure I've got, works just perfectly fine. I don't, it's aggregated and I'm happy. And I think you find, especially with disaggregated infrastructure, composable infrastructure, whatever we're calling it this month, it works at a certain scale. And a lot of us don't necessarily get charged with selling into or deploying into that scale. As was mentioned earlier, not everybody is a Microsoft, a Google, a LinkedIn, uh, companies of that scale and Netflix. So if you're JoQ startup, I get tired of that name, but it works down the road on Castro Street in Mountain View, and you have six servers locally for development and you're in the cloud, you don't really care about disaggregated, even though technically AWS is disaggregated architecture or infrastructure. So I think the most interesting thing about the whole thing is that, um, you know, we never really know what's going to happen in terms of uh, living up to the hype. And, and, and yet, it seems so often that um, you know the hype is one thing, the reality is something different, and and often the technology will be hyped for the wrong thing, like 5G or IoT or something like that. It'll be hyped for the wrong thing, and then in reality, we'll come and we'll find it is super useful in a completely different area. And for me, that's the thing that I'm always looking out for, and frankly, that's the thing that I enjoy about technology is seeing what the real benefit of these things will be in the long term. So thank you guys very much uh, for this conversation and for being part of Tech Field Day 24 this week. Um, you know, it's going to be great to, to hear your thoughts on the presentations uh, Wednesday and Thursday. And those of you listening, if you want to tune in for that, you can. Otherwise, you can find the recordings at YouTube slash Tech Field Day. Uh, before we go, I'll just give you guys a chance. Where can we connect with you and learn more? Is there something specific that you've done recently that you're excited about, Craig? You can connect with me at Craig Rogers MS on Twitter and www.craigrogers.co.uk. And you can find me at riscist11.com. That's research sharing, time sharing, 11.com. I do write about stuff that's not particularly technical. And I've been doing a lot of crypto lately. So you can see a lot of cryptocurrency beyond the hype there. Uh, and you can find me um, as TechStringy in most places uh, at TechStringy on Twitter uh, and TechStringy.com for, um, for my articles and, uh, and my own podcast as well, if I'm allowed to plug my own podcast. Uh, sorry, Stephen, too late. I've done it. Um, so thanks for having me. <laughs> it's cool. Uh, thank you very much. And I do recommend listening to uh, other podcasts, of course, as well. Um, in fact, that's one of the fun, most fun things about Field Day is uh, getting such a diversity of opinions and uh, viewpoints and perspectives on technology. So... Thank you everyone for listening to the On-Premise IT Roundtable. If you enjoyed this discussion, I know everybody says this, but it's true. Please do give us a rating or review in your favorite podcast uh, home or application or whatever it is. Uh, we're probably listed pretty much everywhere. Uh, also, please do tune in every Wednesday for the Gestalt IT Rundown where we do uh, weeks, the week's news. Uh, and uh, there's always a lot of good uh, thoughts and perspective there, even if it does come from me. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to gestaltit.com slash podcast, and we'll see you next time.